Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Supply Chain Podcast. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on LinkedIn at Supply Chain Digital. So today we're joined by Sherry Heinish, affectionately called the Supply Chain Queen. She's a strategist as well as CEO and founder of Supply Chain Revolution. So go check out her podcast, Supply Chain Revolution. Hi there, Sherry. How are you doing today? Hi, Emily. How are you? Great to be here. Yeah, I'm awesome. Thank you. Um, you know, we've already had a previous chat before this, so we're both we're both ready. We're both ready to talk about supply chain. Um, and hopefully not bore everyone. <laughs> that's always, you know, it's always a plus. Keep it cool. <laughs> so to kick it off, could you tell me how you ended up working in the supply chain industry? Sure. So I actually have a non-traditional career path, and I don't know if a lot of folks know that, but I didn't start in supply chain. It's probably like a third or fourth career for me. I actually started as an artist. So I was a recording artist, a singer. I I was in real estate. I had a nightclub at one point, like a music and art space. So really like a lot of different experiences. Um, And then when when I found supply chain or it found me, I was actually in IT studying accounting and my life was changed forever. Um, And then subsequently, you know, I I went to graduate school and I I majored in supply chain management. And then I was introduced to corporate social responsibility and then sustainability. And I think all of those things for me, just really, I, I felt like I was a part of something and I finally found my purpose in this world. So super cool, but I didn't start in supply chain. I started as an artist. (laughs) That's actually really interesting. I mean, I know so many people I speak to, they never, I mean, you don't get taught supply chain at an educational level, like at school or anything. So it's kind of hard to kind of get into, but um, at your current job role, kind of what does that entail? What does your day to day look like? Yeah, so I was actually a W-2 employee uh, for about 15 years, and I was inspired late 2019 to make a change. And I think that you reach an inflection point in your life when you say, how am I creating meaningful and impactful change? And when you think about everything that's happening in the world, the changes that are needed, reaching and mobilizing a critical mass it really requires leveraging networks to create awareness and education and all of this becomes essential for progress. So, um, you know, when you say, what does my job entail? I, I think of myself first as a mother. I think of myself as an eternal student, as a connector an advocate for disrupting the business as usual crisis. Uh, You see a lot. I post a lot about uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, and I feel like champion being a champion for those, people who are marginalized and who may not have a voice. That's another part of my role. Um, and, th- and then also, you know, just giving a voice to the very human issues that we're facing, like climate change, social issues, the business model emergency, and this way of really looking at the world through an extractive and linear integrated process lens, it has to change. And we have to transition to a sustainable world. So my role involves all of those things right now, um, not only through my brand, Supply Chain Queen, consulting, events, um, custom media, but then also through the podcast and evangelizing some of those changes that, need, that we need. Amazing. Um, and all of them social issues, how does that impact the supply chain? Like, How does it all link together at the end of the day? 
Well, supply chains power the world. And, you know, a little less than 40% of people actually work in a supply chain. And despite what a lot of folks will tell you, if we, you know, review all of the supply chain buzzwords of 2020, supply chains are still very human. They are not run on laptops like many technologists would tell us. And um, when I think about, you know, the power of social responsibility, there are so many things happening right now, especially stateside, the Black Lives Matter movement. You think about ethical sourcing, um, you know, when you're, when you're trying to mobilize any sort of change that involves humans doing something differently, people want to know that there's a North Star. And I think leading with purpose for me has been a huge interest in supply chain and something that I'm really drawn to. Uh, I talk a lot about sustainability and the promise of innovation and really how we can use diversity as a catalyst for innovation. So when you think about um, people, the social aspects of supply chains, it's really about giving uh, divergence a space to thrive. So bringing in different age groups, uh, some of the generational shifts, the you know different ethnicities to really think about things differently because we've we've been on this path for so long, it's just not pragmatic to continue this way. And we know that there something has to give. I mean, you, you read the news, you see what's going on over mm -hmm. here. Uh, we have to think about things differently. And I think uh, supply chains are really the conduit for change because 50 to 85% of those social and environmental impacts happen in the supply chain, that end-to-end -end breath. There's no other organization or function that's positioned to create meaningful impact. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's funny because sometimes these topics don't get spoken about because they don't want to bring this kind of political um, opinion into the workplace. But I truly believe it's very important. And, you know, all these aspects, social aspects have to be spoken about because that's what this world is made up of, isn't it, really? It's, um, it's just human. It's just people and all sorts of different types of people. <laughs> Yeah, and when it comes down to it, I mean, this is this is a very human issue that we have an opportunity to choose differently, and there's power in our pocket. And I think that a lot of folks, um, it's hard to change. You know, I I personally like change. I thrive in on change, but having led transformation in supply chain, and then also as a consultant sitting across the table, like I get it. <laughs> I, I mean, changing in my own life, I, you know, with COVID, everyone's been in, at home. I've gained about 15 pounds. It's hard to wake up and exercise, okay? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine like technology implementation and like changing day in the life process for people? Like it's hard in our own lives to use less packaging. Maybe not order that thing on Amazon that we think we need, but we really don't. So I get it, it changes hard, but it's so necessary and there's never been a better time. We have to do something differently now. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, and I guess on the topic of COVID and kind of 2020, how has 2020 changed the view on sustainability from a consumer and organization perspective in terms of the supply chain? So I, I think that's a great question, Emily. And there are a few things that come to mind when I think about big changes or shifts that really make sustainability a priority. 
Number one, Larry Fink's letter to CEOs describing a shift in financial risk that includes climate change. And then all of the disclosures now that are being required around ESG or non-financial performance indicators. So businesses and investors, they have to report on diversity, on supply chain sustainability, and also on data privacy. Another huge event that happened this year was the World Economic Forum named climate change as the leading risk facing businesses in our survival. And that has never happened before. So when you think about this pressure, consumers, investors, trading partners, employees, everyone wants to know where you stand on environmental and social issues and also how you can prove it. And oh, by the way, we're witnessing real time that our ability to realize our own business objectives are wrapped in others realizing theirs. It's not one-sided anymore. So it's not enough to just look at this myopic view of profit. Companies have to prioritize sustainability practices because there's increasing evidence that if you positively influence others, society, you know, you help your trading partners, you'll outperform in the long term. Uh, I recently hosted uh, an event with GiveWith and SAP, and I want to just highlight a few insights and takeaways that in the first quarter of this year, global investors put $45.6 billion into funds that were specifically focused on ESG. There's also a really strong correlation between employee satisfaction among companies that outperform from that sustainability perspective. In fact, Fortune's 2019 best companies to work for have ESG scores that are 14% higher than the global average. We know consumers want sustainability. Tons of studies, over 80% of consumers would actually be more loyal to a brand that supports and reports, supports and reports on social and environmental issues. So it's really around transparency, and in a lot of those KPIs that specifically focus on sustainability, guess what? They happen in supply chain. A lot of it's tied to procurement, upstream and sourcing and procurement. So, I mean, there's really never been um, a better time right now when you think about 2020 with COVID, with a lot of the social issues that are happening. Uh, people want to know where you stand. And if you don't have a point of view, buckle up. <laughs> it's going to be a long ride because it's not going away for sure. It will only, I think that this focus will only become more accelerated in 2021 and beyond. Yeah. And are we seeing a like negative impact on these companies that aren't being transparent? Is there any like statistics or anything that shows that these companies just aren't doing as good because they're not speaking up and using their voice? I mean, I, we, we could get into the nitty gritty. I think the key takeaway here is that there's a really pragmatic uh, perspective. When I talk to supply chain leaders, a huge tenant of sustainability is risk management. So it's not, you, you, you think about, and this is a, a really good example, the uptick of mobile phone use globally and the use of social media and how brand reputation in one tweet, one post, one thing caught on camera can completely disrupt your market position and have a negative impact to your brand. Um, so obviously supply assurity, um, making sure 
that when you think about things like, for example, in CPG and sustainable palm oil, um, I, I did an, an episode with RSPO. There are com- a couple companies that get it right. I really like Unilever, for example, um, Pepsi, for example. The communities where you serve, you're not only teaching them more sustainable farming techniques, like in regenerative agriculture, you're employing marginalized communities that have traditionally just been exploited for labor. Um, All of these things working in concert together, I think that what it really does is it creates a new way of looking at people, at trading partners in the supply chain where you you do look at them as partners in in, in a collaborative way for long-term value creation and there's a sense of shared responsibility. It's not just enough for me to source for lowest price from this community in, you know, wherever, Indonesia. I should care about them making a decent wage. I should care about the quality of the earth and how they harvest and how they grow raw materials that I need for my manufacturing processes. Because if I don't, I don't have supply assurity. I don't have good working conditions. I don't have fair working conditions. And I'm also just a really crappy human being. <laughs> Let's just call it what it is. You know, yeah. you have to create these win-wins for people or it, mm-hmm. just, it just doesn't work long-term. We know this, it doesn't work long-term. Even if you think about our own personal lives, who wants to work with someone who's one-sided and extractive? Not me. Do you, Emily? I'll, I'll pass, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> Yeah, and um, I think it's interesting because it kind of comes back down to the human element we were talking about earlier. Um, but I guess kind of jumping back onto supply chain and sustainability, how can e-commerce help reduce its sustainable impact? Oh, this is a very timely question because we're right in the thick of the holiday season. And today it's actually 11-11. We probably won't publish this for a few days but this is one of the biggest shopping days of the year. And I mean, real talk, this, there's a tension right now between you know, delighting the customer and being responsive and agile and being sustainable and profitable. And, and I think, again, it comes down to humans. People really don't understand how much it costs to order an item online and return it. And with the uptick in digital commerce, and a lot of this is due to COVID restrictions, folks will buy three sizes of the same item, try it on, and then they return what doesn't fit. And oh, by the way, they want you to pay for that cost of reverse logistics. And you know, on a personal note, you say, how can e-commerce reduce sustainable impacts? I, I think about the sheer volume of packaging in online purchases. And I think there's a real opportunity to to communicate the carbon footprint and the environmental impacts, not only in delivering the item, but somehow putting that cost on a return. Like if you ship an item and saying, look, if you keep it, it's this, if you return it, this is really what you're doing. And you're externalizing, you know, a a cost that, that you are creating. And I don't know if people have that insider visibility, um, I'd love to see brands communicate how to be stewardly to maybe influence consumer behavior. Uh, and there's a ton of research out right now. The, the, the Natural Marketing Institute, they've been around for about 20 years. 
they've done a ton of work in linking green purchasing behavior and consumer segments. So to give you an example, in the United States, the LOHAS is a consumer segment, and that stands for Lifestyle of Health and Sustainability. And the Naturalites, which aren't as you know, further along in their green journey, but those two segments alone make up about 40% of the buying population. So there's a business case right now to share the impacts of consumer behavior in e-commerce and, and let people participate where they feel comfortable. And, and I always ask people, you know, if you knew the impact of one return, would it change your decision? Do you think that you would, you would behave differently, Emily, if you knew? Honestly, yeah, I pay a lot of attention to what I order and how, where I get my, um, for example, like clothing from. I've kind of refused to order online now. I will purely shop at um, thrift shops and charity shops just because I, I kind of want to reduce my environmental, you know, impact. And I think that's a lot of other people are kind of working their way towards that as well, to be honest. Yeah. And just asking the question, like, do I really need this? Exactly. Yeah. You know, refusing is the number one. I, I made a post a few weeks ago and it was interesting because I think it was around plastics and there was a gentleman who chimed in and he said, Sherry, you forgot avoid entirely. And I think that, that the refuse argument is something that is left off the table. And I want to give a shout out to Patagonia. I love their ad that they put out a few years ago you know, do not buy this jacket. Mm. It, it's, it's, an, it's something so simple, but powerful about being business unusual. Like, you know, how can we be good stewards to the earth and, and take care of our home? And I think that that's really the message. I don't want to come off as a total tree hugger, although I am. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on, man, participate in your future. Absolutely. And um, I actually love Patagonia as well because I they actually did this campaign, which was if they if anybody in America had um, like holes in their clothing or like rips or something, they had a little van and they'd drive around and they'd have like a meet and greet and they'd sew up people's clothes and they'd retailer it and just make it new again because it's kind of one of the things is like we don't want any waste, we don't want to chuck anything away. We're here to kind of make sure you get a lasting item that is going to last you however many years and we're here to fix it. I think like that's really great. Yeah. And, and just the pragmatic supply chain gal in me says, look, there's still material value left. You mm -hmm. extending a product's life cycle, um, how much ends up in a landfill, how much actually gets recycling is recycling an item more sustainable. Well, you have to do the LCIA to determine that, but by and large, we don't have a good recycling infrastructure in the United States. Even if there was an influx, we wouldn't have the capacity to actually move to, you know, 60 to 70%, uh, you know, recycling of items. We just don't mm. have that infrastructure in place yet. Yeah. So the best thing you can do is refuse, repair, reuse, gift, gift an item. If you're, you know, it, it's, it's something so simple that we actually have the power. It's an empowering feeling to know that you can make a difference just by thinking about things differently and making a different decision. So super cool. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it kind of leads us on quite nicely to kind of thinking about um, the holiday season that's coming up. You know, we talk about gifts and how we can, you know, re-gift. Um, 
So what has the holiday season got to bring for us in terms of supply chain? Can it actually handle the high demand that we're about to see? Well, that's a big question. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, I, and, you know, I get asked this a lot, especially through the lens of retail and e-commerce. And mm -hmm. I want to get all of the, the buffet of buzzwords out of the way, because when, when people ask this question, they want to hear transparency, visibility, resiliency, agility in digital adoption and scale. But, um, you know, let, let's face it pre-COVID, and I was at NRF in January in New York, which is one of the largest retail events in the world, and 90% of transactions were still happening in the store pre-COVID. So, you know, I think when you think about this current state looking across the next six to 12 months, this is forcing retailers to have an always-on brand. And BOPIS, buy online, pick up in store. That's another acronym we have to manage everyone, BOPUS. It can be really helpful in delivering that responsiveness and that instant gratification. And you're saving money on shipping as the brand also. But I mean, it, it requires some changes. So you're going to see um, curbside pickup, click and collect lockers, using stores as micro fulfillment distribution centers. And it's very disruptive to traditional supply chain. And, and, and also I think there's been a real challenge for a lot of retailers to pivot to omni-channel and actually execute some of those strategies. And the reality is it's, it's not a nice to have anymore. It's a necessity. And if you don't make those changes in the evolving role of a store, you won't survive. Um, that's the reality. I, I think that, you know, a lot of this requires a unified connective view of your customer. Because when, it, when you think about omni-channel, people want that seamless experience through whatever touch point, however they engage a brand. But then from a supply chain perspective, you actually have to be able to tease out some of those trends and that information to execute the strategy, you have to have the technology to make it happen. There are some things that, that must take place. Deep personalization, being really clear on your expectation for lead times. People want that one to two hour window and flexibility when they order an item. I don't know that we've ever had that pressure before. I mean, one day was wow, but now it's like, I want this in an hour. So I think all of those things, that on-demand shopping experience, it's going to require really sophisticated supply chain platforms. Um, you mentioned you know, demand. I mean, you can't rely on historical data patterns as an indicator for future demand because of COVID. So all of those things really require supply chains to crack a nut that they haven't been able to crack historically. It'll be interesting. I'm, 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 I'm cheering from the sideline, but I'm also, like I said, I'm an eternal student. I'm learning every day about mm -hmm. what works and what doesn't work. So it, it's definitely going to be interesting over the next six to 12 months. Mm, definitely. And I actually wonder if people are going to treat Christmas differently or the holiday season differently because of COVID. Are people actually going to think, oh, I'm going to shop locally or I am going to, you know, reuse gifts or create my own gifts or I'm not going to even bother with shopping on you know amazon this year i wonder like how much the consumers are going to pay attention to 
the supply chain. I mean, I hope they do. Yeah, yeah, kind of same. Um, it's it. People matter, and I think that one thing that I've observed this year is that people stand up our supply chains. And a question that I ask supply chain leaders in a couple roundtables recently is, how can your company or brand make it easier for your associates or your partners to be successful during the holiday influx? And I think that, you know, there, there are some low hanging fruit. One is actually having that modern planning architecture that you need to create an environment where they can thrive. You know, you have to use AI as a companion to improve accuracy and, and productivity even. And, you know, a lot of this comes down to change management. We were talking about this before you hit the button, record button. <laughs> and, you know, as a, as a leader, I think you have to upskill your, your team and give them the opportunity and the access to, to education to be successful and really to navigate the fluctuations during the holiday seasons and, and understand those trends and insights and just be mindful that people matter and, you know, and, and make sure that they have the tools that they need to be successful and effective. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's really important to take away is change management. And we've kind of had this whole like discussion about people. And I love that because, um, you know, people, humans, we just impact everything. And I love the fact that the supply chain relies on humans so much. And like, I wonder how much, so this is just me just going off now and just thinking, I wonder how much the supply chain actually like considers human impact. I mean, supply chains do consider human impacts. And if you, have you ever worked in a supply chain, Emily? No, I have not. No. Try to get someone to do something differently. <laughs> Is that the challenge? It's a challenge. I mean, it's, and again, I go back to like our, our, our personal lives. I think that people really overcomplicate things and that we've, we've kind of moved away from the human experience. Um, there's an example right now. I know a lot of people are struggling with finding work. There's been a lot of layoffs and furloughs and, um, it's interesting because I always, I always hear about the customer experience and you'll hear a lot about that in e-commerce and retail right now. You know, it's all about the customer experience, but let's go back to the hiring experience. If a company struggles during the interview process, how can you possibly expect that brand to get the customer experience right? And, and when you think about, you know, what works, I'm always drawn to a quote by Richard Branson, where he said, if you treat your employees right, everything else takes care of itself. They'll take care of your customers. So again, going back to, you know, valuing humans in supply chains or in any organization, it's critical. You have to get the employee experience right if you want to have good customer service, if you, because it's all connected, as you mentioned, that's the theme here. Everything's connected. Yeah. Why do I love supply chain? Cause it's end to end breath that powers the world. Why do I love sustainability? Because if we don't master it, we won't survive as a species period. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, I am such a big advocate for, um, like supporting brands that are sustainable and I mean, I'm just an average consumer who just 
does a little bit of research on a brand and I will steer clear from brands who aren't transparent and you know I will try to shop locally and do what I can and I think that more and more people are becoming that way now and I think that's a really good thing I I do too I I applaud you for for taking a stand and I think just to go back to you know the career change late last year and starting the supply chain revolution podcast I think that was a huge tenant that there are a lot of amazing things happening in supply chains and there are a lot of epic rebel leaders people who are disruptive and who are challenging these paradigms and they're ordinary just like you and I but when you look across the globe and these people actually mobilize they become extraordinary as a group of people we absolutely can make powerful change mm-hmm. and uh and, and I and I hope that if anything, if anyone listens to this and they take something away, it's that you do have the power to change things around you and influence better outcomes. Um, so yeah, that's just yeah. a little tangent, <laughs> go rebels. Yeah, no, definitely agree. And I think like this year has definitely shown that. Well, yeah, I mean, this is, I hope that people, you know, that, that they, they take away just that they can make a difference. I think yeah. that really it's really important to they say that someone has to hear a phrase or concept at least seven times for it to start to sink in and i think that a lot of a lot of these positive messages have been muted or normalized during what's happening right Mm now Mm -hmm. so um certainly as an american and witnessing what just happened over the weekend with biden harris being called um the winner of the u.s presidential election I certainly fear, feel empowered that my voice matters and that my vote was counted. And what a great way to start off 2021. Mm-hmm. You matter. Your voice matters. <laughs> that excites me so much. And I think it's awesome that even all over here in the UK, we are just so supportive and excited for kind of America's future and what this can yeah. bring. Absolutely. And what it represents, like yeah. I know there are a lot of issues with systemic racism in the United States, and we're not going to dive into that. But I think that people like what America represents, not necessarily what it's done or what it does. And when you think about that, you know, you can come to this country as an immigrant, you can have, um, you know, no education, no formal education and bootstrap or work your way and become successful and make a life for your family. And I have so many friends and even my own family members um, in my own, my grandfather was an immigrant, you know, a farmer and came here with nothing. My, my husband's Puerto Rican, his family is, you know, same thing, all farmers and everyone went to college and then you create this generational wealth and well-being for your family. And, and that's the promise, right? When you think about hope and all of the things that make us feel warm and fuzzy as human beings, that's America, man. <laughs> we just have to get our sugar honey iced tea together. <laughs> yeah, I love that. <laughs> um, and I guess just to kind of end things on, um, is there anything else you needed to touch on at all or you'd like to mention? No, just if if you haven't heard of the Supply Chain Revolution podcast, check it out. We uh, we have pretty good rankings right now, about 6,000 downloads a month. Um, and it's a provocative podcast. I mean, there's no, uh, it's not super polished, but we certainly highlight, 
new school supply chain, sustainability, circular economy, diversity, a lot of really cool innovation happening. And we've had some big brands on the podcast like Microsoft, Starbucks, SAP, a lot of sustainability organizations and industry leaders. So check it out wherever you get your podcast, Supply Chain Revolution, and give us a shout out on social media. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, thank you everyone for listening to the podcast. Um, I've really enjoyed it. It's been a really good one. So thank you so much, Sherry. Um, don't forget to subscribe wherever you're listening to now and follow us on LinkedIn at Supply Chain Digital. So thank you, Sherry. Thank you. All the best, everyone.